Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. An actress and a fighter pilot have a baby. So how did that link everything on the web together? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Ralph Nelson was a World War II fighter pilot and directed well-known films like Lilies of the Field, Charlie, and Once a Thief. They haven't got the guts to take the step from talking to action. One little action on one little front. Sure, I know it's not the whole answer, but it's got to start somewhere. Celeste Holm won an Academy Award for her performance in Elia Kazan's Gentleman's Agreement in 1947. She was also nominated for her role in All About Eve. Their son, Ted Nelson, came very close to inventing the web. In fact, he'll argue his version of the web would have been better. Project Xanadu, founded in 1960, aimed to create a computer network with a simple user interface. It never caught on. And nobody really agrees why. But one big thing came out of it that you probably used today, maybe a hundred times or more. In 1963, while working on Project Xanadu, Nelson coined a term for the way you could go from one piece of information to another in his network. He called it hypertext. Let's help you know a little more about hypertext. Hypertext is pretty simple. It's text on an electronic display of some sort that references other text in a way that a reader can access it. So you read the word Angola, you click on it, takes you to a history of the country of Angola. The connection between the two is a hyperlink. If you're on a phone touchscreen and you tap on the score of the Cardinals Cubs game and it takes you to a write-up about the game, you've used a hyperlink. We just call them links in everyday language, of course, but it's short for hyperlink, and it connects hypertext. The most famous use for hypertext is, of course, the web and web pages. Web pages are typically written in HTML, which stands for hypertext markup language. But the web isn't the only place that hypertext is used. Many software applications take advantage of hypertext to move you through their documentation or even features. And uh, if you want to go back a little ways, CD-ROMs famously used hypertext back in the 1990s. However you come across it, though, you probably think of hypertext as static. You click on text, it takes you to other text. 
If it's doing more, eh, it's probably not hypertext anymore. You know, it's probably at best cascading style sheets or JavaScript or something even more complicated. But there are other features of hypertext you might run into that are hypertext. Stretch text, for example, expands or contracts the text you're looking at to give you more information if you want it. That little click to expand feature is sometimes hypertext. Transclusion will bring multiple documents together in context, sort of an object-oriented method of displaying information. Now, there's other ways to do both of those things, but there are hypertext ways to do them too. And when that transclusion happens, you might not even notice the document just shows up with all the inclusions in it. So you can't tell if you used it. But to be honest, static hypertext is by far the most common occurrence. It's the backbone of the web. Without hypertext, you don't have links. Without links, you don't have search engines. And without search engines, you probably don't have the modern economy. Hypertext can be considered the backbone of the web revolution. But if the guy who coined the phrase didn't bring it to us, how did we get here? Let's start before the beginning. Since the written word has existed, we've used text to point to other text. Uh, just write and go over there on, on a big stone. Uh, or better example, footnotes. They tell you to look at the bottom of the page for more info. Endnotes send you to an index, maybe. So the idea has been around for a bit. A lot of folks will point to Jorge Luis Borges' story, The Garden of Forking Paths, as inspiration. It certainly has a modern World Wide Web feel to it. Uh, it's also seen as feeding the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics. But the root of Nelson's idea of hypertext was also the root of Doug Engelbart's Mother of All Demos. We did a whole episode on that. If you heard that episode, you know about Vannevar Bush and his 1945 article in Atlantic Monthly called As We May Think. Bush described a device called the Memex that could use microfilm and photocells to store and recall info. Coded symbols on the microfilm read by the photo cells, would let you link information and find it. That's a direct analog to hypertext. Now, there's a lot more to it, but 18 years after Bush's article in 1963, Ted Nelson coined the term hypertext. And a couple years later, in 1965, he published an article called Complex Information Processing, a file structure for the complex, the changing, and the indeterminate in which he first used the term hypertext. Now, modern electronics made Bush's ideas not just possible, but achievable, and not just by Nelson. In 1967, working at Brown University, Nelson and Dutch computer science professor Andy Van Dam created the Hypertext Editing System, or HES. So they were bringing hypertext from being a theory into reality. It ran on Brown's IBM System 360 Model 50 mainframe. So we're talking about some multi-million dollar hardware here, not something your average person's going to get. And you had to access it from an IBM 2250 terminal. You couldn't use a different kind of terminal. To interact, to do the clicking, if you will, you used a light pen as your pointing device. No mouse yet. Engelbart wouldn't show that off for another year. The cool thing about the HES, though, was it was meant for the novice. Maybe the novice couldn't afford the computer, but if they could work on it, they could easily connect documents without needing to be trained in programming. It focused on menus and linking. It had a back button, which Nelson points out was the first system to contain what seems like an obvious function now. 
And it was put to use. NASA used it for some of the documentation of the Apollo space program. Now, Nelson had crossed paths with Doug Engelbart over the years. Engelbart was working at Stanford on his networked information system, also inspired by Vannevar Bush's article. Engelbart's system was called NLS, which is kind of short for online system. And in December 1968, in what would later be called the mother of all demos, Engelbart demonstrated all kinds of things. A mouse, video conferencing, collaborative editing. But for this episode, the most important thing that he showed was hypertext. Engelbart demonstrated hypertext to the public for the first time. Engelbart's demo was the talk of the computer world, which was a small world back then. Inspired by Engelbart, Andy Van Dam started working on another project called the File Retrieval Editing System, called FRES. The second S in FRES was the second S in system. They, they were fast and loose with the acronyms in those days. It included an undo feature to reverse small editing or navigational mistakes, and it could run on multiple terminals, giving it more flexibility than HES. It had two types of links, tags, which took you to references and footnotes, and jumps that took you to separate related documents. FRES was used for a long time by classes at Brown. In fact, a poetry class is sort of legendary for helping students use it to see references to other works from the poems they were reading. It was the word processor of choice at Brown throughout the 1970s. And hypertext started to become more common after that. The folks at Carnegie Mellon developed a ZOG, Z-O-G, a hypertext system that was used on Nimitz-class aircraft carriers for their documentation. ZOG later evolved into the commercial system called KMS, or Knowledge Management System. In 1978, people at MIT created the Aspen Movie Map. The entire city of Aspen had been filmed on 16mm stop-frame cameras by a car driving down the middle of streets. The images were burned to laser disc and linked together to let users take a virtual tour of Aspen. It was Google Street View, except much less easy to get at and use. In 1980, a young man named Tim Berners-Lee, remember that name, created Enquire, a database system that was kind of like a wiki. In 1982, University of Kent's Peter J. Brown created Guide, the first hypertext system for a personal computer. Jesuit priest Roberto Bush created a hypertext index of the works of St. Thomas Aquinas. Ben Schneiderman led a group that created the first commercial electronic book. And of course, when you create the first book that uses hypertext, it's got to be about hypertext. The book was called Hypertext Hands-On. Uh, StorySpace was a project to create hypertext narratives. There's a whole world of hypertext fiction that began to be created. And in August of 1987, Apple Computer released HyperCard for the Mac. It was a database that used hyperlinks, or more properly, hypermedia, since links started on cards, not really on text. And it was used for all kinds of things. BBC Radio used it. The game Myst used it. A lot of people created software with it. In what has become the fine tradition of Apple, its implementation of a pre-existing technology popularized it. And in fact, it was released in August 1987, and the first ACM Hypertext Academic Conference happened in November 1987. But that was about to happen right back at Apple. Vannevar Bush inspired Nelson and Engelbart. Nelson and Engelbart inspired Van Damme and many others who inspired Apple who inspired 
Tim Berners-Lee. Remember him? The guy who made Enquire back in 1980? He was at CERN now, you know, the place that brought you the Large Hadron Collider. In 1989, he and some CERN teammates, in part inspired by HyperCard, proposed a new hypertext project. CERN was generating incredible amounts of data, and they wanted to help physicists share documents more efficiently. They called it World Wide Web. All one word. In a 1990 write-up, Berners-Lee wrote, Hypertext is a way to link and access information of various kinds as a web of nodes in which the user can browse at will. Potentially, hypertext provides a single-user interface to many large classes of stored information, such as reports, notes, databases, computer documentation, and online systems of help. We propose the implementation of a simple scheme to incorporate several different servers of machine-stored information already available at CERN. He just wanted to link all that stuff up, and the rest is history. Websites, browsers, links everywhere. And what about Ted Nelson? He continued his work. He had professorships at Hokkaido University and Keio University in Japan, University of Southampton, University of Nottingham, a fellowship at Oxford, most recently teaching at Chapman University and UC Santa Cruz. In 1998, he was awarded the World Wide Web Conference's Yuri Rabinsky Memorial Award. In 2001, he was knighted by France. And in 2014, the ACM's Special Interest Group on Computer-Human Interaction gave him a Special Recognition Award. And he hasn't given up on Project Xanadu. You can visit it right now. Just go to Xanadu.com. If you don't know how to spell it, it's X-A-N-A-D-U. You can read about ZigZag, a new database structure, trans copyright licenses, and more. But the man who coined the term hypertext still thinks his vision might be the better one. Nelson feels like the web oversimplified things with its ever-breaking links, links going outward only, quotes you can't follow to their origins, no version management, no rights management. Whatever the implementation, though, that idea that Nelson championed is still pivotal to how we use technology. Whether you click, point, tap, or pinch to access it, hypertext is the major way you are navigating information these days. In other words, I hope you know a little more about hypertext. Know a Little More is researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos in conjunction with Will Saddleberg and Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 international license. Dog and Pony Show Audio.